This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. It is Danny and Gallant, the Seahawks, headed to Las Vegas. But they're not staying on the strip, apparently. That's a, that's advisable. We got their first preseason game, the Mariners, with a little bit of dad strength. And for the second time this week, we're being honored with the presence of one Ray Roberts. He's going to be doing part of the radio broadcast alongside Steve Rabel right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. We consulted with him about the offensive line. And, Ray, then I found out you were going to be doing part of the commentary team on radio, and we had to have you back. First of all, I'm really excited to hear you do Same, this. Hey, man. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, I hope that you guys can, uh, you know, have a little patience with a brother. You know, like I, I, I haven't done this in a, in a long, long time. So it'll be uh, fun to get on there and uh, have some fun with Steve and and try to bring whatever you know, whatever flavor that I bring to the to the broadcast. Well, there's two things, and this is look. I, I've I've known you for for years and always enjoyed talking with you. One of the things I'm excited when you talk about having patience, I'm I'm looking forward to this because. A, you bring a, a lineman's perspective, which we hear some of, but I don't think we hear enough of. The other thing is, I, I just, I love the way you look at the game. I'm really, I'm really excited to hear what this sounds like and to hear your thoughts as you, as you look in and evaluate this team. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Danny. And uh, you know, I, I think that you know, I always try to bring, uh, you know, that perspective of the offensive line, uh, just because I think it's not uh, appreciated enough, and uh, you, you, you know. You only get recognized when you're not doing something right, and so uh, you know. I hope that I can bring a different perspective. I tend to be more of a storyteller than a you know data and stats dude. Um, so I hope that uh, that I can bring something to it to try try to paint a picture or some understanding for for fans that are that are listening and watching. Ray, we were talking a little earlier this week about Stone Forsythe, who was just a massive, massive human being. And <laughs> we had talked about, you brought up some possibilities as far as how they could potentially use him this year. What are you going to be looking for from him specifically on Saturday night? Because I feel like of all the offensive linemen out there for the Seahawks, he's the one that's probably the most interesting to see all the possibilities with. Yeah, you know, just like, you know, some of the things we talked about was, you know, just him, you know, been in a two point stance for most of his career in, in college and just making that adjustment from, you know, getting, uh, putting his hand in the dirt and in the run game and then getting out of that stance, um, you know, and pass protection. But, you know, after even talking with, uh, Pete, coach, coach Carroll the other day, uh, I know, I think we kind of said the same way. I think the dude is like, the moment is not too big for him. He's played in some big time competition for a long time in the SEC. Some of the, best athletes and best football teams in the country. Uh, and so I, the thing I want to see from him is just consistency. Like just if he can just consistently do what they're asking him to do, you know, especially in the pass protection, uh, because I think he, I think he's a very talented pass blocker. And so uh, just being able to see if he can consistently uh, do what they're asking him to do, if he can show improvement, Sure, there's going to be plays where you know the, the you know someone else may make the play, or he he may not look you know like uh, or do the things that you want him to do. But then, how does he get back at the, back to the line of scrimmage and come back and, and take the next play? So, I really like him. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot a lot there to work with. And then even if even if there was a, a chance that they had to play him uh, in in the opener, 
uh, I think there's ways with the tight ends, with the running backs and things that you can protect uh, protect him and, and, and make it so that he can uh, be successful in the game. We're talking to Ray Roberts here. He's joining us on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. He's going to be part of the broadcast tomorrow. Uh, you're going to hear the play-by-play starts at 6 p.m. Seahawks facing the Las Vegas Raiders. Ray, over the last year, I think a consistent refrain you've had is that the Seahawks need to marry the run game to the offense. What do you mean by that? Yes. Uh, well, last year, it just seemed as if uh, when the season started, you know, we're so uh, plugged into the let Russ cook and, you know, throwing the ball down the field and these deep, you know, passes to uh, DK and Tyler. But lost in that was in kind of rhythm where it was tied to the running game. And so the running game always felt like an afterthought, like two processes you know, running parallel with each other, but not connected to each other. And so when you look at, uh, uh, Waldron's offense, uh, you know, the way they, the, the, the action that they run, uh, and play action that looks a lot like the, the running game. So the first two or three steps, you don't know if they're running the ball or if they're throwing the ball. Um, just the, the rhythm and that, uh, the way they use the run game, uh, uh, in conjunction with the pass game so that it feels like one comprehensive offense where you're taking advantage of every single individual's skill set on the field. So the the offensive line and their ability to pass block and run block. Chris Carson's ability to catch the ball and run the ball. Uh, you know, uh, DK's ability to get down the field and catch the ball. Russell's ability to throw it. So it's just a um, it's just more of a comprehensive, all-inclusive type of offense and not a one-dimensional one. I'd be curious to see that. Also, Ray, I'm looking at some of the defensive linemen who now have an opportunity. Alden Smith was looking pretty good when he was out there for the Seahawks over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, he's no longer a part of the equation. And that's a big opportunity for a lot of younger guys who I think are going to need to show something. I think we feel pretty good about Alton Robinson, what he did in his rookie year. But I would say for Rasheem Green, for LJ Collier, this is probably going to be a big night for them. Yeah, I think a lot of those guys are going to get a lot of reps because I think one thing that they're trying to do is – Figure out uh, like what combination of guys uh, is is the best for the defense, and then and then on top of that, figuring out that rotation because you have Robinson, you have Mayoa, you have L.J. Collier, you have Green, uh, you know, obviously you have Dunlap and uh, Daryl Taylor. So there's a the the thing that um, is interesting about all of that is that figuring out the rotation, figuring out the combination, but it also gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility. And so, uh, and diversity in the way you can, you know, put combinations together. So I expect there to be a great competition for that type, for that plan time and for those, uh, been parts of those rotations. And then, uh, like I said, this will be the first, first game where guys will start to try to separate themselves, uh, you know, ones from twos, twos from threes, you know, uh, you know, that's where you're fitting in the rotation. So, it's going to be interesting to watch the energy that they bring and, and the skill sets that they bring to the game. On the one hand, Ray, this is a Seahawks team who's seen its regular season win total climb over the past three years. They went from going 9-7 and seven and missing the playoffs to winning 10 games, getting back to the playoffs, to winning 11 games and winning a playoff game. Last year, they win 12, they win the division, but they lose playoff home game. And that is... I think is a feeling that a lot of people have myself included of how does this team get over the hump and take some of that regular season success and make it make a deep playoff run. Do you, do you feel like this team's well positioned to get over that hump? I, I think they do. Uh, if, if all the pieces that you have 
uh, can stay healthy on offense and defense and, and show up uh, and, and play the way the defense is playing the second half of the season. And then, like we were just talking about earlier, having this, you know, you know, marriage of an, of an, the run game and pass game. Uh, I think they have a chance to go, to go, to go really deep, uh, because they, they have playmakers all over the field. And so on both sides of the ball. So, you know, talking with, uh, Gerald Everett yesterday and I asked him, you know, what, what, what does he bring? You know, what impact does he have on the offense? And he said, I think I complete the package. And I thought that was a great way to say it. Like, he completes the package of the of the weapons that they have on offense, where he can be that security blanket for for um, uh, Russell. You know, when when uh, you know working at intermediate underneath passing game, but then also there's other things. You know, we saw him in training camp. He's he's going run vertical routes too. So I really do think that the tight end room will be the group that unlocks the offense. And uh, and so I think that way, if, if those guys stay healthy and show up, you're good. And then on defense. Like figuring out that front seven and the, all the competition in the secondary. There are some tremendous yeah. position battles going on in training camp, and and to me, that's what makes training camp super fun. Is because everybody is fighting for something, like on an individual basis, and then obviously on a on a on a team basis. And so, um, if those secondary guys push each other to show their best and they can get off to a fast start, then I think this team uh, can go deep into the playoffs. What's your read on the pecking order in the secondary going into the game? Because you've been out of practice, and we're, we're obviously going to watch this game on Saturday night. You obviously have the nickelback positional battle between Hugo Amadi and Marquise Blair. And at corner with DJ Reed out, we've seen a lot of Trey Flowers, who's been looking pretty good out there. Akilah Witherspoon's been there too. And Trey Brown's even starting to factor into the mix. I guess going into this game, how do you see things and how could they potentially change on Saturday night? Well, I, I know that, uh, you know, that, you know, the secondary, uh, it's pretty interesting. The change in, I guess, philosophy, if you want to call it from like the, the, the long, tall DBs, um, you know, real physical at the, at the point of attack to some of the smaller DBs. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, how do you evaluate that in the perspective of how they fit into the defense? Uh, and what you want to do. And so I think that, uh, the, the defenders, the DBs, uh, the cornerbacks that can show the most consistency and how they play, uh, will be the, will be the, the, the guys that get the job. And so, you know, Trey Brown is very intriguing because of his size, but his also physicality and just the way he kind of goes for it. He goes at it. We saw him break up a really nice, uh, pass. And practice the other day, uh, you know, coming over DK through his body and breaking the pass up before before DK got to the ground, and uh, so he's made plays like that the whole camp. And so I expect him to to get some good looks. And like you said, DJ Reed is a little nicked up, uh, but there's uh, um, um, the other guys are, are you know going to be able to get that playing time. And I think Witherspoon has kind of established himself as as one of the guys. Uh, I think he's had a good solid camp. And then Trey. Um, um, uh, shoot, his name's right off the top of my head. Trey Brown, <laughs> Trey Trey Flowers. Oh, Trey Flowers. Um, Trey Flowers to me, <clears throat> Trey Flowers to me will probably have the inside chance to really win the position because he's played it a lot and he's been here and they have some familiarity with him. To me, his deal is totally uh, a mindset thing. When he has confidence in what he's doing, he plays really well. He's decisive. He breaks on the ball. He makes the play. When he's indecisive and indecisive, decisive and not sure, 
then you can see him kind of panic as the ball comes, and then and then somehow the the the, the receiver ends up making the catch. So I think for him, he's had a couple few days of good practice and made some good plays. So for him, he has to carry that over to the game and keep doing it consistently. He is Ray Roberts. Ray, you're a great friend of the show. We love talking to you, and we're really excited to listen tomorrow as you're part of the the play-by-play call with Steve Rabel uh, there on here on 710 ESPN Seattle when the Seahawks start their preseason game. Thanks so much, thanks, big Ray. man. Well, I'm, hey, thanks for having me, guys, and thanks for the support, and uh, and I look forward to having fun with it. All right, that sounds good. That is Ray Robertson. You can hear him on the radio broadcast tomorrow. Dave Wyman going to be part of the TV part of the TV call, so he gets the fancy TV, and that's going to be an opportunity for Ray. I'm, I, I am excited to hear, hear how that sounds because I do love Ray's uh, emphasis, especially on the big men. Yes, especially when you take a look at this offensive line. I, you want to have someone who can explain it. There are very few people who can actually, I think, accurately explain it, and that's something – you know, I've talked with Ray a bunch off the air, and that's something that he really wants people to start to get a clue on. And that's a concerted effort that he's been making. So, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to hear him actually in action on the radio explaining it in the moment. It's going to be a year, too, where everything becomes a referendum. Everything becomes mm-hmm. a discussion about whose responsibility was that sack. Is it Russ holding the ball too long? Is How is the offensive line protection? And in some ways... The fact that that became such a point of contention this offseason is a little misleading because I actually think most of Russ's feelings about pass protection related to the overall past five years or so as opposed to 2021 specifically. Because I think most of us agree that 2021 or 2020 was a step forward. And right. it changed a little bit in the second half, and it became an issue. And part of that was because they played better defenses. But that, by and large, 2020 was a step forward for how this offensive line is played. Yeah, it definitely was. Now there's some changes, and we don't know where Dwayne Brown's going to be. Gosh, that's a huge question, isn't it? Where yeah. you look at, okay, they addressed maybe the biggest— they got Gabe Jackson, who should be a significant improvement, but now all of a sudden there's a bit of a question about left tackle because right. Seahawks not really engaged in, in extension talks with him, and we'll see where that leaves everything. Well, it, our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Let's get to Around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Football. Hi, Maura. What was that? Hello. It's a reference to a movie called The Replacements. There's a... Uh, no one's going to no get that one. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's something wrong with the camera in the producer studio today. So um, it's I'm talking to you guys, and it just says 710 producer, and there's like an empty box. So you watch it on the stream, 710sports.com hover- slash video. I'm hovering in a ghost-like fashion. I today. like it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say this is news, um, but we have a report from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN just kind of reiterating how firm Jamal Adams is in his stance that the Seahawks need to come with more in his contract offer. This is a pure standoff right now. I'm told Jamal Jamal Adams has conviction. He believes in what he's worth. He's got a number in mind, whatever that is. He is clinging to it. Uh, It has to do with guarantees and structure, and there are a lot of things with the contract that they have to work out. So Seattle has tried to get this to the finish line. They're well above what the market is for the top highest paid safety. So they're willing to go so far, but I'm told they're not budging. Adams is not budging, 
And this could get very interesting because Seattle's stuck business-wise. Unless they get Jamal Adams' deal done, they're going to have some hard times getting any sort of free agency moves done on the side. they got to sign left tackle Dwayne Brown, too, who's also holding in. He's not practicing. So everything sort of hinges on them getting past this hurdle. They can't seem to do it. You know, if this lingers, this could weigh down the team a little bit and have an after effect. Let's get to that last part. All of that is bunk. All of the idea that, hey, this is... The issue here is that you have a player that Seattle traded an awful lot to get. A lot to get. That it likes and that it has extended beyond what it is usually comfortable with. Generally, Seattle, when they get a guy that they extend, they pay him a million dollars above market rate. Like That's that's generally the template that they use. And they have a bonus structure. And they've gone above that in this case. In part because Jamal Adams isn't just a safety, right? He does he does rush the pass, and part of it's a, and they haven't been able to, to get it. They're at a point where they they probably aren't or feel like they're not going to budge much more. Now, the good news is I think they're pretty close and they'll get it done. All that other stuff about this is going to prevent them from doing other things, and eh, I'm not buying that. Well, that the, sort of shows issue- you where, where this is coming from, right? Who's talking to Jeremy Fowler? That's probably coming from Jamal Adams' agent or someone that's on the player side of things. Right, which is generally like, hey, they're not going to be able to do anything else until they get yeah. this done. That that's that part's not true. But look, it's a, it's a really high stakes issue for the team and for the player, and they're staring each other down. And we'll see where it goes. I I think they're close enough; it's going to get done. Same. But I'm not nervous. Yeah, that's not great. I'm not nervous though. I I, I do think that this is going to get taken care of. Plenty of time left, Danny. I mean, shoot, that's we're, true. We're finally less than a month away before the start of the season against Indianapolis. You're, you're right about that. There is a lot of time. And the one thing, and you brought this up yesterday, that Kevin Connors, other biggest client, that's Jamal Adams' agent, was Tredavious White. And mm-hmm. there, were some, there were some tense moments before that got done a week before training camp, or a week before the regular season opener last year. A new story from Jenny Vrentes of uh, Sports Illustrated came out this morning detailing the NFL's handling of investigating the allegations against Deshaun Watson Uh, Apparently, the NFL has spoke to about 10 of the women that have alleged sexual misconduct and assaults. Um, There's various degrees of accusations against him. And Renta spoke to two of the massage therapists suing Watson. The picture that emerged of the way the NFL is handling the questioning is uh, rather disturbing, with one of the women claiming she was asked what she was wearing at the time of the assault. Yeah. The NFL likes to show everybody that it cares about this stuff, but it doesn't. I mean, shoot, Daniel Snyder was in the, what, owner's box for a game yesterday between uh, the Patriots and Washington football team. Like, how seriously are they taking his being pushed away from the team for all the creepy stuff that he was involved with, if not at the very least, you know, making happen? So then you see this. It's a shame. It shows that the NFL doesn't really want to tackle this the way that they probably should. That's possible, Paul. I have a I have a more concerning and more troubling opinion, which is that I think the NFL very well might want to tackle it and is completely ill-equipped to do it. And and that's not out of some sort of maliciousness or disregard. Look, how to investigate and handle issues of sexual harassment and criminal misconduct? If if that's I mean, these are all civil lawsuits. But there are criminal complaints that are being investigated. Police officers are trained for years and investigators are trained for years in how to do that sensitively and respectfully and to not fixate on things like blaming the victim. 
it's not surprising to me that in the NFL's attempt to say, well, we're going to look into these, that they don't have the same level of understanding. It took years for police departments to start, and I don't even think they're there yet where they know how to, but they're sounds like they're significantly better at it than the NFL is, and that the desire that the NFL has to say, we're going to look into this, is creating more pressure on the victims as opposed to trying to figure out what the player actually did. It was why I reacted. There were some people that thought when Seattle drafted Frank Clark that the Seahawks should have interviewed the 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 woman who was identified he as he was identified as attacking and was arrested for it. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I want NFL teams vetting people who are victims of domestic violence or sexual assault. Like are, are do they know how to do that? I mean that's no is that don't. something that you would reasonably expect them to know how to handle? And I don't know that that's the case. It this whole thing st- remains a mess. That was galling to me. If the NFL is doing this and asking victims to identify what they were wearing that should be a flashing red light that the NFL has no business conducting these sort of investigations. And, and for what it's worth, too, the person that was conducting the interview was a woman, if I'm not mistaken. And, I mean, that, that person feels okay asking that question. And that's surprising, too. Well, that was the – and in the story, Janie Ventress's story, the, 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 the woman who was interviewed said that the person apologized and said, I have to ask this question. And the, the massage therapist's response was, well, what – should I have been wearing a turtleneck to right. indicate that I did not want his genitalia placed into my hand when I was there to provide a professional? These are women that were at work. They were going to a job providing a service and were subjected to either inappropriate or, or in some cases, allegations of outright criminal conduct. It's embarrassing. All right, moving uh, back to preseason, we got a first look at Mac Jones with the Patriots taking on the Washington football team last night. He didn't really do anything dazzling, but he was good. He went 13 of 19 for 87 yards with no touchdowns and no interceptions, but did have a shot at a 34-yard touchdown um, where the receiver dropped the ball that he probably should have had. Oh, catch the ball. It's a nice Mac throw. Jones going to start? Well, look, I don't want to read too much into this, but Danny, I, I talked about this with you in a commercial break. The average depth of completion for Cam Newton was less than a yard. <laughs> How's that possible? Does that mean it's all screens? I'm guessing in all drag plays. There was one play over the middle where you see Jonu Smith. He's running like a one-yard route or something like that across the middle. But this offense is probably going to be better served with a guy that actually can throw the football down the field. I would say, too, having tapped into Boston Sports Radio just a little bit over the last couple of weeks, it does seem like Cam Newton's very positive demeanor is no longer quite as positive, which I think would imply that there's maybe more of a quarterback competition going on going into the year. Let's talk a little more about this. Rookie quarterbacks, because there's one in San Francisco who's going to get an awful lot of time this weekend. Should Seattle be paying attention to what happens with the 49ers to decide who they might be facing this season? That's next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It's interesting because the Patriots, they might start a rookie quarterback. And if that happens, it's kind of Cam Newton had a year last year to to see what he could do. I think the question there is, is, is he done? Is Cam Newton done? Very different situation. 
in San Francisco, and one that is more pressing. That's another place where you could eventually see a rookie starter. Trey Lance is going to be the starter there at some point. I think it's probably some point during this season, though. It could it could wait an entire year? Bump's been saying week four, dude. It could be week one. Have you seen the Have you seen the plan? Like Kyle Shanahan laid out their plan for playing time, which is that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play the first series. And then Trey Lance is going to come in for the remainder of the second half and maybe play, or remainder of the first half and maybe play into the second half. They're they're hoping he gets thirty plays. I don't know how this is going to come out, when but Ro- I'll tell you that that is a template for giving Trey Lance a path to win the starting job. At what point was Russell Wilson taking Matt Flynn's job a possibility? It became. It became a distinct possibility week three. So there were preseason games before we actually got to that point, as opposed to buzz. Because that's all we've had with Trey Lance thus far. Practice buzz. Yeah. The first preseason game, Matt Flynn started. Matt Flynn played the most. Russell came in. Russell looked really good. And I remember writing, because I was covering the team for the Seattle Times at that point, saying, hey, Russ at least made this a conversation. Like, Russ, what's going to happen next? And there were people that reacted like, don't try to start a quarterback controversy. This isn't a decision. Matt Flynn's the starter. He's the rookie. The next week in week two, Matt Flynn started. And I thought, okay, that's a pretty firm sign that they're they're preparing to have Flynn be the starter. And what it turned out was that they wanted to see Russ start on the road. And so Russ was going to start week three. It was on the road. And then Matt Flynn had a, a dead arm. Like, Matt Flynn did not play in Week 3, which, in retrospect, turned out to be a terrible decision on his part because Russ went and put on a show in Kansas City, and then he was named the starter after that. Like, it didn't go to the the next week. They traded Tavares Jackson at the end of training camp, and and then they, they named Russell Wilson the starter going into that fourth preseason game. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's just going out there as the starter, Trey Lance is being given the opportunity, like, okay, young fella, hear what you, see what you can do. I don't know if I think he's going to become the starter, but he's in my mind, he's being given a chance to to show he can do it. The difference, I think, is that Russ played so much at college. I mean, we're talking both at NC State, and then he has the last year at Wisconsin. With Trey Lance, this is going to be his first time against not just one one A players, football bowl subdivision players I mean it's it's jumping from one double a at North Dakota State after a season where he barely played to playing against professionals if he looks good then okay maybe that conversation sort of like it did here with Russ and Matt Flynn maybe it begins but do you really think that there's anything that he's going to be able to do in this game on Saturday that San Francisco is playing where he's really going to change the conversation the other thing is too I mean the Seahawks weren't going into 2012 thought of as a playoff kind of team. San Francisco's been to the Super Bowl two years before. So I think it's going to be a lot harder for Trey Lance to kind of force that conversation just because San Francisco's veteran players have been there recently. Do you really want to say all of a sudden to those guys, we're going to see how this plays out. You need to have some like concrete evidence that he can get, get it done. and It's going to be uphill at the very least for game one for him. You're right about that. Like, you're right about the teams being in a different spot. The question with Seattle was, okay, are they rebuilt? Are they ready to go? And then early on, even, there was the feeling of you're messing around and wasting a championship defense because you're starting a rookie quarterback. 
Like everybody wasn't unanimous that Russell is the guy that should be starting once the season started, and their offense was 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 struggling to to do much, and they they kind of kept they kept the lid on the offense. I just think in San Francisco, and I follow enough of the coverage down there, and I have enough friends who are 49er fans that I know what their talk is. It's like, okay, we th- we know that Jimmy's the guy that can manage things, but we don't think he's good enough to get us over the top. And he might, Trey Lance might be lightning in a bottle. You are also right. Trey Lance doesn't have nearly the level of competition. He hasn't played at nearly the level of competition or gone through the things that Russell did to make you feel like Russell had already learned a new offense. He had gone in going from North Carolina State to going to Wisconsin. Like all of those different right. things had, had already happened. So I, I would agree with that. Out of the five rookie quarterbacks, right, we've got five that we're watching. Yep. Trevor Lawrence is going to start in Jacksonville, right? Urban Myers said that, hey, we haven't named him the starter, but we all think that we all think that Trevor Lawrence is going to start, right? Yeah, he's the starter. How about Zach Wilson in the Jets? That sounds like it could be a disaster. Uh, well, it's the Jets. It's going to be a disaster. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. Honestly, especially of all the quarterbacks you're going to bring into New York, you're going to bring a guy from BYU who looks like he's 18. Okay, good luck. You know, I, I maybe it works out, but... We've seen this crash and burn with actually, high, you know, guys that you were expecting a whole lot of coming out of college. Two USC quarterbacks. Should they have kept Sam Darnold just to have him be there as a buffer no, to give Zach Wilson time no, to learn? No, he stinks. No, I mean the Panthers. I don't know what they see in him, but they're they're not going to find anything different about Sam okay. Darnold this year. Next one, Trey Lance. You sticking with Jimmy G for the beginning yes. to say that he's got the okay, and then and then we go. After that, is it? It goes Justin Fields, right? Justin Fields was next up, and and he should be starting. There's no point in playing Andy Dalton, you know, like Ma- with Mac Jones. Then after that, who do you start in, same, in New England? Same, it's Mac Jones. You know, you, New England's New England is a competent roster. Chicago is a competent roster. Those teams can protect a young quarterback, where New York really can't, and they have no choice either. You know, it, maybe not Sam Darnold, but another veteran option. You know, bringing back Ryan Fitzpatrick for another run, maybe that would have been a smarter play for New York than what they're going with this year. It is Danny Gallant. We'll be back to race flags. We're excited about seeing the Seahawks' first preseason uh. game tomorrow. Kickoff will be at 6 o'clock. Seahawks at Raiders there in Las Vegas. Uh, you can listen to it right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Flags next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. This is my second favorite part of the show. My first favorite part happens at 830 when we listen to Black Sheep and play this or that. I think that's been well established today. Yes. We don't even get to hear engine engine number nine on the New York Transit line, and I still love that. I'm surprised, though, that it's not at 745 when we do Are You Buying This playing Wu-Tang, right? Cream. cream. Come Cash on. everything around me. Cream, get the money, dollar, dollar, bill. Yo, yes. Come on. I like that. Maybe it's, be, maybe it's because cream is too identifiable for me. Like if it was Glaciers of Ice, if it was the Glaciers of Ice. Okay. Beat. Then I go nuts. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can think it. about that, but I did. It's more picks great music, right up and right up yes. until right up and including Public Enemies, harder than you think, which I love. Love that. All right, Paul. Flag. What's your flag? 
I'm going to raise a flag to Tim Anderson. So Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox. I find him to be highly entertaining. He is somebody that is not afraid at all to show emotion at all times on the baseball diamond. And in yesterday's Field of Dreams game, which outside of the overemphasis on putting Kevin Costner into all things sports that this broadcast did, seemed like it was a pretty cool event. Tim Anderson is the one who walked it off with a awesome home run. You see him with his traditional swagger, first out of the box, then going around through home, um, all the way to home base, home base, home plate. Uh, Simba's barking at me for making a bad baseball reference That's there. exactly right. That's what Simba's doing. He's letting you know. Home base. Yes, home plate. But Anderson was on the Dan Levitard show yesterday, and he was asked if he knew about the comings and goings of baseball and about a no-hitter, I guess, that had taken place. This might have actually been from a couple of weeks ago, but this was Tim Anderson's response. Uh, Tim, thank you for being on with us. Were you aware that there was a no-hitter pitched in baseball last night? Uh, I found out. I think I saw it this morning on Twitter. But, uh, you know, man, I'm not I'm not really, you know, logged into the into the baseball world. For real, I try to stay away from it. But, you know, I play the game, and, uh, you know, that's it. I leave it at that. Wait a minute. The AL Player of the Month is not logged on to baseball news. That's great. What is happening there? Mine is a boring sport. <laughs> <laughs> you saw the no-hitter. You yawned, didn't you? <laughs> it is. Great. It is. Thank you for being fun in a boring sport. <laughs> yes. You, yes, thank sport. you. We appreciate the AL Player of the Month. He's not wrong. I like playoff baseball, Danny. Regular season baseball, it exists. There's a lot of them. They take a while. 1-1 games between the Mariners and the Rangers. Eh, not for everybody. Is that complaining about the sport, though? Or is that a personal preference? Both. I know what I like. I know that if there were other teams currently playing sports in town, where baseball would be amongst my overall interests. Because I try not to be the person that is, you've got to appreciate what it is. But I could see how baseball doesn't appeal to everyone. But it's not a boring sport. Like, it's, it's an endlessly fascinating sport. Has it become more boring with the lack of balls in play? I would argue yes. I, I agree with that part. I, I think it's better when there are more balls in play. But I think if there were more balls in play and this was like the 1980s, people would complain about that too. And I'm not interested in changing baseball to suit the tastes of those people. Yeah, and I think that's something that over time I have learned. It's not for everybody, but I would say that I'm probably closer to Tim Henderson than the average baseball fan, if that makes sense. Moro, what do you got a flag for? I am going to uh, throw a flag for this um, poor gentleman, idiot, that chose to try to steal a car from an MMA fighter. This uh, is my flag, too! Oh, is it? Oh, no. Yes. Sorry. Explain the story. Explain the story. It's fantastic. So, uh, UFC fighter Jordan Williams says he left his car running while he ran into a gas station in Denver. He told Brett Okamoto of ESPN... 
that he has a push start car, so if his keys aren't within five feet, it won't drive. But as he's leaving the gas station, he gets closer to his car, he starts to see it slowly back up, and he says, and man, the look this guy gave me on his face through the window was like, yeah, I got your car and this is happening. Uh, But he didn't know that he was stealing the car of a UFC fighter who then (laughs) he says, I opened the door and the first thing I did was throw the stuff on the passenger seat that I bought. And then I proceeded to punch the guy. After the first punch, he said, "Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was able to get some knees on him as he was exiting out. (laughs) That's hilarious. I love those moments when somebody has drastically miscalculated the situation, thinking they have an upper hand, thinking they're going to scare someone. And then the idea. The last person you want to run into is an MMA fighter. You would rather face a boxer. You'd ra- The last thing you want... Like, MMA fighters are basically built for street fights. Like, that's the last thing you want to deal with. Don't you want a freeze frame moment where you can zoom in on the, the moment where that person realizes that they picked yes. the wrong Especially fight. after he was looking so smug just before that, yeah. I've made a now, huge mistake. Every single time that's been said in Arrested Development, just play it on loop. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going, to, going to make the point because I, I, I re-raised Morris Flag. There is a clip that exists, and it's relatively recently, that shows that exact moment, Paul, that you're talking about. Yeah? Like a freeze frame. Oh, His yes. name is Joe Schilling. Okay. Spelled just like Kurt's last name. He's of no relation. Joe Schilling is an MMA fighter. And Joe Schilling is in a bar with a guy that was behaving like an absolute jackass. He's making big demonstrative things. And people said later he had been rude and he was acting around. Joe Schilling is walking back from the bathroom and he bumps into the guy who then says something to him. Joe Schilling gives him a three-piece combination and knocks him unconscious directly right then. And... There's a lot of debate about whether or not Joe Schilling should have done that, given that the guy didn't actually hit him. He just kind of chested well, up toward him. Didn't he say him. he felt threatened afterwards or something? Which he did not. The guy's <laughs> significantly shorter than him. But also having been in a bar often enough to have seen that sort of thing play out, it's not like this guy was just minding his own business either. Like he was making a big production yeah. of things. He gets knocked unconscious. Uh, Matt Sarah, who is another MMA fighter, who is fairly well known for having himself he constantly gets in near sort of fights like this because he's from Long Island he's got a very short temper he did an extended breakdown of this in which he basically says that yeah Joe probably shouldn't have done it but it's not because he didn't have any right to it's because you can't go beating up every D-bag that you come across. (laughs) That it's too, you get sued, you get arrested, like all of these different things come in. So like you're technically right. But the beautiful thing about Matt Sarah's story about it, and this will change to me raising the flag for Matt Sarah, is that he's explaining and as he's doing it, he goes, look, just yesterday, I was at the stop and go in New Jersey. And there's this guy, it's a crowded parking lot. I'm driving across slow and there's a guy behind me, beep, beep, beep. And he's in the rear view, in the rear view mirror. I see him, he's yelling at me like, go, go, go. And so I wait, roll down my window and I just say, what's the hurry? Because the guy starts cursing and immediately I'm thinking about following him. And, but you can't because you can't go beat up every person. that. Does. And I wondered about the restraint it must take. Matt Sarah, to, to know that at any time that a person 
challenges him or is overly demonstrative at that, that I could take this person and basically sit on his chest and slap him in the face as many times as I want to. But know that you can't change do that demeanor be... real quick. Yeah, yeah, that would but be I can't do that to. because I'll end up yeah. getting arrested. It'll be a big pain in my butt. You'd have to go to a happy place like in Happy Gilmore where you're just wailing on the guy. Right, and you can't do that. So, shout out to people. But that idea that you come up against someone when you're behaving like an overly aggressive jerk in public and you come up against an actual MMA fighter who could do whatever he wants to you, I I will simply say, Matt Sarah has the best quote I've ever heard when someone was yelling at him. He's doing a stand-up interview. This guy's yelling at him. It's on the street in Los Angeles. And Sarah turns around to him, stops the interview, and goes, Hey, look, buddy, there's an easier fight on the other block. I promise you. I promise you, if you're looking for a fight, you're going to find an easier one than me. One of the more fascinating things that I've learned talking with you on this show about also just law in Washington is that some of these guys, yes, you could, some of these guys in Washington could end up stepping outside and having agreed to a fight with one of these people. That's correct. Nobody gets in trouble. Right. If you agree to fight, if you agree to fight, nobody gets in trouble. To be even more careful here. (laughs) Uh, That's going to do it for us. I want to give a shout out as well to Nick Incarnation. It's his birthday today. He has to say happy birthday to him. So there you go. Nick Incarnation, happy birthday. Thanks to Ray Roberts, to Michael Bumpus, to the Professor John Clayton, Maura Dooley for being the, she's the the bright side of this show. And he is Paul Gallant. He's got tigers on his shirt. He is Danny O'Neill, and he is looking forward to the next story where one poor schlub tries to bite off more than he can chew with an MMA fighter. I want to see it, too. Maybe in person sometime. That would be fun. Up next, what do you want to see in tomorrow night's Seahawks preseason game? I'm going to list all the things that I'm going to be looking for. You get to respond to those. You get to send in your suggestions, too, on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Don't go anywhere.